Father, once again we come before you on a Sunday morning, and Lord, we ask that our singing would be acceptable to you. Lord, that truly we would not just be mouthing these words, but Lord, we would be singing them as praise and worship to your most holy name. Lord, make us mindful of all that you have done for us and are doing and will do. And Lord, we ask that if there be one here today that does not know you as their Savior, that today would at least be one step closer to that knowledge of the Savior. We ask that you would work in each heart and life, that our worship would not end when we close this service, but it would be just the beginning of a week lived in worship to you in this wicked world in which we live today. We ask for your blessings upon this service that we may glorify thee. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Chapter 11. And our theme this year is faith. And there is no better example of faith than that which is lived in the life of an individual man. And, of course, Hebrews chapter 11 is full of those stories, and we're going to look at just one this morning, by God's grace. Hebrews chapter 11 and uh, verse 4, it says, By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts. And by it, he being dead, yet speaketh. And let's go to put a marker, the bulletin there at Hebrews chapter 11. And let's go to Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4. And we'll just start reading in verse 1 of Genesis 4. And Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain, and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And again she bare his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering Unto the Lord and Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of the of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth? And why is thy countenance fallen? If thou dost well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. And Cain talked with Abel his brother. And it came to pass, when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. And if you'll read the rest of the chapter there, it is God coming to Cain. And, of course, one of the most famous phrases out of the Bible, Cain says, Am I my brother's keeper? And, and of course, we know the answer to that. Read the story of the Good Samaritan. 
We are our brother's keeper. We are supposed to watch out for others and help others. But Cain had something different. And it's amazing as as you read Genesis chapter 4, the bulk of Genesis chapter 4 is concerning Cain, not Abel. Abel hardly gets a mention here, does he? I mean, his name's mentioned just a couple of times. It, uh, we have uh, one verse, verse 4, that talks about what Abel did. And then he's mentioned again in verse 8 as having talked with his brother. And then it's all over. And yet, when we get back to Hebrews chapter 11... It's all about Abel and none about Cain. You see, in the world in which we live, who gets all the headlines? Good people or bad people? How many of you believe the good people get all the headlines? I don't have one hand. How many people believe the bad people get all the headlines? Would you just uh, let me know that you're still awake this morning there and, and uh, listening and all of that? Yeah, so uh, what is the world saying? If it bleeds, it leads. Uh, uh, if, if there's something bad going on, they get all the headlines. You read Genesis chapter 4 and, and the whole chapter is about Cain. But we get to Hebrews chapter 11... And it's all about Abel. And, and I want to challenge us this morning. The, the, the verse, that, the phrase that just arrested my attention was, He being dead, yet speaketh. I mean, what Abel did, if we want to just, and we'll go through this all in just a few minutes, what he did that classified his entire life took just a, a few moments, maybe an hour, and yet recorded in the pages of God's Word is that one deed in an hour. And I know that he's listed first in the book of Hebrews because chronologically he was the first one that is listed there. But I would like to challenge you uh, that God is putting on this faith on display that the faith that it took for Abel to do what he did was no less than the faith it took for Moses to cross the Red Sea. The faith that Abel exercised in his story was no less than Abraham leaving Ur of the Chaldees and Abraham offering Isaac Uh, It was no less faith on Abel's part than it was on Noah's part in building the ark. You see, there's, there's something built into mankind. There's just something in us. Every one of us wants to accomplish something great. Isn't that true? I mean, if you're here today and you say, that's not me, preacher. I want to be a nobody. I want to be a nothing. Uh, I I don't want anybody to even know I lived. I I would challenge you, please see me after the service. We will will make time 
to sit down because you, you need help. You really do. Uh, there's something desperately wrong in a person's life who says, I, I want to be nobody nothing. But you see, this idea of wanting to accomplish something great is meant to be tempered by a word called faith. And if it's not, you will join the ranks of the selfish, pride, arrogant world in which we live. Is there any end to selfish, prideful, arrogant people? I mean, the world is just full of them. Look at, look at our list of presidential candidates. Wow. Uh, it's, it's a tragedy that this is the best that America could do. And yet, we're not here to worry about what's going on out there. We're here to examine our relationship with God. I hope and pray that's the reason you're here this morning. Amen? To, to look and to look into God's Word and, and not some crazy introspective thing of, of examining all of my feelings, you know, I met a guy that said, I just want to get in touch with myself. He said, real easy, just go like this. Now hold that for about ten minutes till your arms are really sore. He said, what's the purpose? I said, you said you wanted to get in touch with yourself. That's about the simplest way I know of doing it. Give yourself a hug. Uh, did it do any good? No. You don't need to get in touch with yourself. You need to get in touch with God. That's the difference. And, and we're going to see that illustrated in the life of Abel. Now, should we have anyone here that says, well, I believe the book of Genesis is just a storybook and nothing really happened? Well, uh, let me explain something to you. If you believe that, number one, you're calling Jesus a liar because he acknowledged them. Adam as existing as a real human being. And if you would be so brazen to make that statement and believe it, well then, there is no hope for you concerning the Word of God. Because verse 6, as we get into it, says, He that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. I still believe that God is, and I still believe that He is good. And I do not believe that God is the author of sin. That's why we repudiate Calvinism in any and all of its forms. Someone said, how many points Calvinist are you? Zero. Well, do you believe John Calvin is wrong about everything? The devil's not wrong about everything. Read, read Mark chapter 5. The demons that were in the man came and worshipped Jesus. The devil's not wrong about everything. But am I going to go to the devil to learn about God? No, I'm going to deal with truth, not someone who accidentally stumbles across a few truths in his trail to dishonesty and dishonor of God's Word. 
And that's where I believe Calvinism will take you and any of the other isms and schisms that are out there. And uh, what we need to do is just look here in verse 4. It says, by faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. Now, faith is so often pictured as this mystical, erythreal, oh, oh, he just has faith. Well, let me tell you something. Biblical faith is always attached to biblical fact. That's why the Bible says, faith cometh by what? And how do you hear? Hearing by the Word of God. Yes. You see, my faith is directly connected. My faith is built on. My faith is in response to what is in this book. Now, people have faith in all kinds of things. How many of you remember... I'm not just trying to pick on our president. Please understand, it's just such a glaring illustration of this. How many of you remember about two years ago or so when our president came to the American people and said, we're going to fix health care? How many of you remember that? How's that working for you? It's going to be cheaper. Isn't that what he told us? How many people know what's happening this year with health care? It's going to go up another 25 to 40 percent. And how many people in this country said, I have faith that this is going to happen? I would say a majority of of people, well over 50% of the people in this country believed. Now, the, the statistics don't prove me wrong, but uh, may prove that statement wrong. But let me tell you, what have our senators and congressmen done to repeal it? In fact, our quote-unquote best have said we need to improve it, work out the bugs... Oh, my. You know, the next lie they're going to tell us is the DMV is going to start working. And yet people believe this thing. They have faith that it's just going to somehow get better. Can I tell you, that kind of faith is foolishness. And yet, what is the first charge that people level against anyone who is willing to hold up a book called the Bible? This Bible, by the way. Uh, we don't use the imitations or the new modified versions. We like the old King James here. It's the only one we use in the English language. And people say, you're foolish. You're crazy. Yet, I wouldn't trade my life for your life. Those that don't believe in this book, I wouldn't trade it 
for a gazillion bucks. I wouldn't trade it for if you gave me the whole world. Jesus told me that the whole world's not worth faith in Jesus Christ. I believe him. You know, something I hear a lot of times as, we're, as I'll be talking or doing business and someone will say something, I'll say, yeah, yeah, we have a few kids. Well, how many do you have? Just 12. Wait, wait, wait. just 12. Yeah, yeah, we have 12 kids. You adopted those? Oh, no, no. We got them the old-fashioned way, one at a time. How many wives do you have? Only one. Same one. Not one at a time. And here's the statement that I hear more than any. Well, I only have one and they're driving me nuts. How do you do it with twelve? Uh, faith cometh by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. You say, how, how do you live the Bible life in, in this world in which we live? Well, I learned a long time ago that you got to get your eyes off the world and put them on Jesus. You know what that's called? Faith. You see, I don't have to join the world. What was Jesus' prayer, John chapter 17? He said, I don't pray that you'll take them out of the world, but I pray that you'll keep them from the evil in the world. And that's a struggle that you have to struggle with every day. And let me challenge you. If you'll struggle with the things that Jesus told you to struggle with, he said to struggle with hatred not murder. He said to struggle with lust, not adultery. He said to struggle with the sins that happen in your heart so that you don't have to go to jail like half of the leadership in New York State uh, State House is eventually going to go to jail. It's, it's, it's insane. But if you want to do what's right, you have to start right here. But see, that faith has got to be attached to something right here. That's what makes faith work. You see, we're, as we go through this verse, it says that, that by faith, Abel offered a more excellent sacrifice. Now, let's go back to Genesis chapter 4 and let's examine that sacrifice for just a minute. Let's look what the Bible says. It says that Cain brought the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. So, Cain brings the fruit of the ground, the tillage that he had uh, done, the plants he had planted, the harvest he had reaped. He brought that as an offering unto the Lord. Now, I have a question for you. Did Cain invent horticulture? Agriculture, raising crops. Uh, Who did that? Well, God did when he put plants on the earth, didn't he? And he made plants 
recreate after themselves and and he put made fruit with the seed in it and 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 other plants uh i mean if you want an incredible study put your comic books down and start looking about how plants grow and all the diversity in the plant kingdom and the different kinds of plants that there are and how that they grow and and you know the amazing thing is never once in all the known history of mankind has an apricot tree accidentally produced a peach. It never has happened. Now, if evolution had the least bit of truth to it, there would have to be some accidents in there somewhere because evolution is an accident in and of itself. But you see, accidents don't happen in God's creation. Oh yes, you can take an apricot branch and graft it into an apple tree and you know what you're still going to get? Apricots. God made it that way. It's an amazing thing. But can people do extraordinary things with horticulture? Oh, absolutely. Will plants produce more if you take care of them than if you let them grow in the wild? Well, that's what farming is all about, my friend. You, by effort and careful planning and work and all of these things, you can make the ground produce ten times what it would normally produce if you just let it grow wild. So, there is a great deal of effort involved in what Cain did. In fact, a great deal more effort involved in what Cain offered than what Abel offered. It took time. You don't put a seed in the pot. Uh, it, it never fails to amaze me. Every one of our children, will uh, they'll get into science and they're supposed to put a seed in the pot and they'll come look at that thing every day. Uh, you, you can tell them, hey, uh, their brothers and sisters tell them, listen, Hey, it didn't work for me. It's not going to work for you. Don't look every day. It's going to take at least a week, ten days before you're going to see anything every day. That's human nature. It just grows better when I look at it more, right? No, there's a natural process. It takes time to bring in a harvest. It takes a great deal of effort How many of you have ever gotten your hands dirty working the soil? I'll tell you what. It's it's a pleasant thing. If you've never had the opportunity, you you really need to do that at least once in your life. I remember we used to have a little gas-powered, we called it a rototiller, and it would uh, soften up the earth so we could plant and things would grow better. And... uh, one year that thing broke down. We got it out and tried to start it up and it, it wouldn't start and we worked on it and I said, Dad, what are we going to do? He said, Oh, I got a clue. I said, I said what? Are we going to buy a new one? He said, Here. I said, Dad, that's a shovel. He said, It works. He said, Let me show you. 
Now, our smallest garden was about the size of our auditorium. I said, you expect me to take the whole thing? He said, it works. Uh, there were blisters. There's blood. But I'll tell you what, I got bragging rights now. It takes a great deal of effort. It can be done. It takes work and time. But it's worth it to reap that harvest. It's worth it to bring all those fruits and vegetables in and, and, and enjoy that. I, I, there's nothing more enjoyable then in the middle of the winter, it's snowing and it's cold as to go downstairs and get a fresh jar of canned peaches were about my favorite. Frozen corn. Oh, my mom had a way of fixing that. It tasted like it just came off the cob. Oh, was that good. Middle of winter, snowing outside and I'm eating fresh corn. I mean, it's still crunchy. But I want to digress for a moment here and talk about religion. See, how many of you used to go to a church where they say, now listen, this thing called religion takes time. In fact, it'll take your whole lifetime. It takes a great deal of effort and investment on your part. And if you will live according to the rules of our religion, you can then go to purgatory and get out in a couple thousand years and then go to heaven. Isn't that what they tell you? I understand that more than I do the Protestant approach of... Well, you just do the best you can and you work as hard as you can and God understands. And it will all just be kind of made right at Judgment Day. How can you say that honestly? Do you do your taxes like that? If you do, stay away from me. I don't want the IRS visiting me. You don't just do the best you can. That doesn't count. You see, that's what Cain did, whether he knew it or not. He laid the foundation upon which all false religion is built. And he brought the sacrifice. And he brought it with the same attitude that all false religion has down to this day. I did the best I could. That ought to be good enough for you. Now, Cain didn't voice those words, but didn't he live those words? It says he got angry. He was wroth. I like the old English words. I mean, what, what we say today is he got mad. Doesn't No, dogs get mad when they have hydrophobia. Uh, when they're diseased. 
And, of course, people, when they get mad, they act like they're diseased sometimes. But the word wrath, doesn't that really describe it? I mean, they're just, you can just feel the rage in the word itself. And, and that's what was, Cain was angry at God. Can I ask you a question? Do you think God was upset because Cain was angry at him? Hmm? Do you think that Cain somehow irritated God by his anger? No, God goes to him very simply and very plainly. And we'll just touch on this a little bit right here. He says, why art thou wroth? Why is thy countenance fallen? We might say he had poochy lip disease. He, he, he was, he was, you could look at his face and you could tell that he was angry. Somebody told me the other day, he says, uh, that, that we were just talking and said, well, it takes, takes more muscles to frown than it does to smile. How many of you have heard that? That's why we New Yorkers are in such great shape. Amen. Because it's a whole lot easier to frown about things. And that's what Cain was doing. And so God comes to him. He said, if thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? If you'll just do right, don't you think I'm going to accept you? Do you think this is some personal thing that I like, Abel, more than I do you? That that has nothing to do with it. You've got to do right. And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And a lot of people have tried to make all kinds of stuff out of that verse. But what God was simply saying was, when you fail and when you sin, there's one of Abel's lambs right outside the door here. You can offer him as a sacrifice and the problem will be solved. That's what God means by sin lieth at the door. The sacrifice is right there. All you have to do is walk and get it. And here's what God says, if you'll offer the right sacrifice, unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. He said, Cain, you're the oldest son. You will run the family. Your brother Abel will be your servant, if you will just do well. And what does Cain do? Murders Abel. You know, what happens in our world? You have no right to say anything against my religion and my God. So I will kill you if you do. How many countries of the world is that happening in today? By the way, Islam's not the only religion that does that. Hindus do it. The Buddhists have done it on occasion. And will do it. They've fought wars. Do you know that the Catholic Church actually raised an army against the Orthodox Church to fight against them because they disagreed over religion? The Protestants have fought against Catholics and Catholics against Protestants. But you know something that every one of those religions has in common? They've tried to destroy people who believe what we believe. History bears that out. 
all the religions together. Now, they have different names. But in the Middle Ages, the common name in England was the word Anabaptist. Does that sound familiar? It means against baptism. Which is really strange, because we're not against baptism. We just believe it ought to be done right. And when we say, you didn't do it right, then that's when they start killing people. You see, that's, as we say, Cain set the basic parameters of all false religion. Not one of Jesus' followers has ever killed anybody in the name of religion. Not one. Doesn't have to. Jesus doesn't need defending. Faith doesn't need protection because faith is protection. And so we have Cain's offering of his effort, of his time. Uh, 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 We might even say... If Cain was a normal man, and we believe that he was, I'm sure that Cain had calluses on his hand. If there's uh, one way you want to tell the difference between a working man and a non-working man, look at his hands. I remember being on deputation, and we had just finished painting our our bus that we were going to live in. It was an old Greyhound coach, and oh, uh, my hands had been dipped in lacquer, and I mean, they were just... Terrible shape. And I walked into a church, and I shook hands with the pastor. He said, let me see those hands. He says, you're a working man. He says, we're taking you on for support. He said, thank the Lord for painting the bus. Amen. But Cain had those calluses. He had gotten the blisters. There was his blood mixed with the soil if he's a normal man. And God said, that's not good enough. I have no respect for your offering whatsoever. Now let's look at King uh, Abel's more excellent sacrifice. He took the picture of innocence, a baby lamb, all white and fluffy, little bat, whatever the sound they make. And he cut that lamb into little pieces. It says that his offered a lamb with the fat thereof. Now, that phrase, if you follow it through your Bible, is talking about the fat on the inside of the animal that builds up on the entrails, or uh, if you want the plain word, the guts. Uh, if you've ever field dressed an animal or, or that, you know that you, as you open it up, there'll, there'll be little yellow nodules of fat in different places if it's a healthy animal. Well, that's what was offered on that altar. The blood was poured out around the base or over the rocks, and the animal was cut up, and he was put, his body was put on that fire, and And it was burned until there was nothing left but ashes. The Bible says it's a sweet savor. But uh, how many of you remember the days of woolen uh, pot handlers? Where you had those, they actually would put wool in it instead of all the synthetic material. 
You ever catch one of those things on fire? You talk about stink. It's not a pleasant smell. And yet, God said, that's a sweet savor to me. Why? Because the death and the burning of that animal was a picture, a living illustration of what Jesus would do to take away our sins. Did Abel understand that whole thing? Probably not. Where did Abel learn? It says by faith. You see, faith is not something that you can learn on your own. You have to learn it from somewhere else. That's how faith works. Faith cometh by hearing. Hearing by the Word of God. If we go back in our Bible to Genesis chapter 3, God took Adam and Eve and He put them out of the garden. And as He put them out of the garden, what did He do? He made clothing for Adam and Eve. And by the way, it wasn't caveman clothing. That's one of Hollywood's excuses for immodesty and immorality. Uh, The Bible defines nakedness as the shoulders to the knees. So God clothed them. He made them coats that covered their nakedness. I wonder what God did with the bodies of the animals that he got the coats from. You know, the Bible doesn't give us an exact answer to that question. But if Abel, by faith, offered a lamb as a sacrifice, you see, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God, then that means that God had given some kind of instruction to Adam and Eve that this animal was to be offered as a sacrifice, and this is how it was done. And Abel just did what God did when he moved Adam and Eve out of the garden. Is that a stretch, my friend? Or is that just simply putting the Bible together piece by piece and following what it says? I I believe the latter is true. And I believe that's what the writer of Hebrews is referring to when he says that Abel offered a more excellent sacrifice, but he offered it by faith. You see, faith has got some direction to it. Faith has got shape to it. Faith has got some, can I use the word, uniformity? It means there's some common characteristics that if I have faith, And even today, people will say, well, I'm of the Catholic faith. Well, what does that mean? Well, that means that you believe in the God of the Catholic Church as the Catholic Church defines Him. If you are of the Islamic faith, then you believe in the God of Islam as the Islamic tradition uh, defines Him. And by the way, if you will look at the characteristics of those two gods, you're going to find two completely different people. The same is true of the Mormons. You cannot find the Mormon God in the Bible. You can only find a God defined as the Mormons believe in him in their own writings. Same is true of the Jehovah's Witnesses. 
a completely different God. I want to put forth to you that the only way you can know the true God of heaven is by reading the words of this book called the Bible. And you can understand. And by the way, if I believe in this God and you believe in this God, shouldn't we have some agreement? Shouldn't there be some conformity in our faith if it has the same source? That's what the book of Hebrews is all about. It's telling us that the faith that we exercise today is the same faith that Abel exercised when he brought the lamb. You say, why do we not bring a lamb like Abel did? Because it is finished. Jesus is God's lamb Suffering one time to pay the price for all sins forever. I do not contradict Abel. I endorse everything he did. Amen? Amen? And you see, we look through here and it says... By which he obtained witness that he was righteous. You see, Abel, by being obedient to what God had said and what God had showed Adam and Eve as he expelled them from the garden, Abel wrought righteousness in his life. It was put... On his account, it was made a witness that Abel was righteous because he simply obeyed God's word. We say amen to that? Now, look at the next one. It says here, God testifying of his obedience, right? Read it carefully because I didn't read it right. On purpose. It says God testifying of His what? What's that word? Nice and loud. Gifts. Now what's a gift? Isn't a gift something you receive? Isn't a gift something that someone gives to you? How many of you like gifts with strings attached? I mean, I think we get these every week. Free three-night cruise in the Caribbean. Liar. There's nothing free about that cruise. They're going to sell you all kinds of things. They're going to take advantage. If they couldn't make more money than the ticket, they're not giving it away. And they expect you to pay for it. And you will. But God says, I'm going to give a gift. What, what's it say? The wages of sin is, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. But we already said Abel really didn't understand all of those things that Jesus was going to do. What gift did Abel have that enabled him to offer this sacrifice 
that God said, I'm going to write His story in my Word and preserve it throughout all generations. You know what that gift was? He heard from Adam and Eve what God did when He expelled them from the garden. And He just did it. Do you think that's an illustration of the verse that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 18, except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall no wise enter the kingdom of God? I believe that's a perfect illustration of simple childlike faith. Abel didn't question it. Cain did. Abel was totally satisfied with what God said. Cain wasn't. Abel just did it. And God said, you got a gift. You see, for by grace are ye saved through faith. What's that next phrase? And that not of yourselves. Faith doesn't come from you. Don't listen to the late night talk shows when they talk about that little spark of God that's in you. You're going to fan into fire. Be careful, you'll burn the place down. You want fire, there's a place to go for it, but it's not heaven. There's nothing in me. Faith is a gift that God gives us. And Abel reached out and accepted that gift by taking that little lamb and killing that lamb. And putting it on that altar and offering it to God as a sacrifice. That's not a pleasant task. How many of you have ever had to, you live on the farm, you killed the chicken and got it all ready from start to finish? How many people have actually done that? Okay. we got a few handfuls. How many people gone hunting and actually killed something and had to field dress it and take it home and, and, and eat that thing? I'll tell you, that's not a pleasant experience. But God was trying to show us how horrible our sin was. And Abel just did it. And God said he had a gift. And God gave testimony of his gift. Because his gift of faith produced works. If you have faith, it will make you do something. And it made Abel offer a sacrifice. And God said... That faith counted for righteousness for Abel. It proved that what he believed, he really believed. He believed to the point of obedience. And by the way, that's the working definition of faith. But it wasn't over for Abel yet, was it? Because he had to deal with Cain. Do you think Cain said, Abel... I'm going to kill you like you did that lamb. Do you think Cain told Abel what he was going to do? Oh, you know what? I don't believe so. Because he was talking with Cain. wonder what they were talking about. I have a slight idea that it had to do with faith in God. Because, see, the world 
false religion must convert you. See, if you want to know what the real issue is today with abortion rights, homosexual rights, all of these things that are destroying our society, you see, it's not live and let live, my friend. It never has been. It never can be. Because as long as we live different, we infuriate those who want to believe that what they're doing is right. By the way, this was over 10 years ago. I was down in the Bowery looking for something for the church kitchen there in the restaurant area. I saw a poster. I didn't put this poster up. It was before the days of cell phones, and so I couldn't take a picture of it and record it for perpetuity. But it was just a photographed black and uh, black on white picture of a man with a crazy hairdo flying in every direction, shaking his head. It was just one of those weird pictures that you would, when you think of the term wild man, that's, that's what was there. And over top was this headline, queer. And underneath it said, we won't be free till everyone is. Now, I didn't post that. That was posted by them. That is the agenda, my friend. That was Cain's agenda. You see, he couldn't stand it that Abel would say, Cain, why can't you just do it God's way? So he killed him. And don't give me this stuff about all these hate crimes. Yes, there's been hate crimes as long as there's been man. Because there's no such thing as a crime without hate. But here's what the Bible says. He, being dead, yet speaketh. Let me tell you something. The world is going to come to a point. The Bible tells us about it where Antichrist will wear out the saints of God. That's why we believe the church won't be here. Where he will have rule and reign over every person on this earth where you will not be able to buy or sell a loaf of bread without his specific and and complete approval. That is what is going to happen. Everything is going to be under His control. You will not be able to operate in this world without taking the mark of His kingdom and of His worship. That is the kingdom of Antichrist. And let me tell you, it's coming. The church won't be here to preach the gospel. But God will have his witness. And we don't have time to go into all that today. But if you could wipe out every testimony, this is all I'm saying, of the truth of the gospel, you would still know in your soul that what you're doing is wrong. Because God 
won't let you go to hell by mistake. The reason Cain is in hell today is because he simply refused faith in God. Abel had gift. You know what his gift was? It was faith. How did he get that faith? By hearing from his parents. Because they were the only people alive at that time. And they explained to him what God said and what God did when he moved them out of the Garden of Eden, the world's perfect environment, into the world in which we live today. With many exceptions. Noah's flood hadn't happened yet and other things. But Abel just did what the Bible said. Just did what God said. He offered a lamb. And God said, I respect that because you obeyed me. Now, I'm going to testify that, Abel, you are righteous. And even though he's been dead all these millennia, we still hear the voice of Abel saying, I'd rather obey God than die. And die. Then live on my own. Against God's word. Tell you, life in these last days is so much simpler. When you just get your eyes off the world and put them on God. When you just choose to live by faith. Instead of by your own mind and your own wits and your own abilities. The Bible is not complicated. Faith in Jesus is a very simple thing. It's believing that what he did on the cross is all that is necessary for salvation. If you have faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior, guess what the second thing you're going to do is? You're going to go through the waters of the baptistry to identify with Jesus and his church. What are you going to do after you get baptized? You're going to serve him in his church. You say, well, how do I do that? Well, uh, first step, show up. Amen. And we'll take it from there. You see, it's not a complicated thing. But you have to make a choice who you're going to listen to. Because I will promise you, you have faith in one of two things this morning. You either have faith in the Word of God, or you have faith in yourself and the world system. I'm not here, except as a signpost to point you in the right direction. And if you're holding on to yourself and the world in which we live... I'm just going to be honest enough to tell you you're dead wrong. And you're only going to bring destruction in your life and those whose lives you touch. If you'll just simple exercise simple childlike faith in the Word of God, you're going to find that most of life's major decisions will be made for you according to the Word of God. And that God will guide you through this life in a way that when it's over, 
He gets credit for it. And all God's people said. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and we thank you for the testimony of Abel. Lord, we ask that you would help us to lay aside those things that the world teaches. And just in that mind and heart of the simple child, accept what the Bible says. Lord, it applies to every area of our life. It's the answer for salvation. It's the answer for a good marriage. It's the answer for godly children. It's the answer for how our church ought to operate. It's the answer for every question that life has to offer. My first prayer this morning, Lord, is for those in this room that do not have a biblical faith. Lord, I do not expect to be able to answer every question in a person's heart, the first sermon that they've heard, the first time they've heard this. But Lord, we trust that you will use this sermon as part of the work in their life that will bring them to a simple and true faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray for those that have been saved and are struggling with life, struggling with sin, struggling with this world in which we live, that we would embrace the simplicity of Abel, that we would listen to him crying from the ages past. All you have to do is obey the Word of God. Help us, Lord, to live for you during this coming week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together as Andrew comes to lead us in the hymn of invitation.